Hi everybody, this is Wit from Spiderbait. When I'm passing through Karam, aside from slowing down to 50 kilometres an hour and reminisces about doing the Eel Race Road Rumba or the Watley Street Wiggle, I like to tune in to Radio Karam and get down with the good vibes. You are listening to Roland Perant Method, where myself and a unique guest discuss topics that I'm interested in, things that might be relevant to your life. And on today's episode, we have Elisa Caro, who is a holistic sex therapist and tantra teacher. Welcome to the show, Elisa. Oh, it's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's very much a taboo subject that not many people talk about just sexual health, well-being or anything like that. So can you just give us a little bit of a talk about your background and what it is exactly that you do? Yeah, well, you really are right on the fact that sexuality is not that much talked about, which makes me really sad because it's such a natural part of who we are, right? And it's so sad that so many people feel weird to talk about it, sharing with friends, be heard, express their concerns if they have them. But yeah, I can start with a little bit about myself. So I'm Italian, as you can probably tell from the accent as well. Mm-hmm. And I was brought up in a very unconventional family. Like literally was introduced to yoga and meditation when I was eight. I did my first yoga retreat when I was eight. And my mom even taught me some tantric practices such as like some meditations or breast massage when i was 14 and 15 so she kind of like as a teenager when i was asking questions she supported me um with with my sexuality as well uh, understanding it a little bit more however i feel like as every good teenager i rebelled to my parents and felt like i'm done with your hippie stuff and woo woo and I just wanted to be more, you know, in the fitting in society and going to clubs and wearing, you know, nice brand clothes and be good at studies. And and so I kind of like rebelled a little bit and decided to do civil engineer. And my brain is like, it just works well with physics, math, logic. So it wasn't that hard as well studying. And I had like, you know, great grades. Like I came out with um, cum laude, I think is in English as well, which is kind of like the top grade you can get, you know, it's like A plus. But then when I started working as an engineer, I realized how disconnected I was, how unhappy I was. And even my body started to show me some signs, like I kept having tonsillitis. You know, it doesn't seem that bad, but if you have it like every six weeks, I was in bed for a week, Mm. like it was just not sustainable. And then I have some cysts in my ovaries and they were growing more and I needed surgery to take out my tonsils and like my cyst. And of course, my mom, otherwise woman, she was like, I think you need to quit your job and go on a healing journey, understand what's happening. I see you very stressed and I'm a little bit concerned. And so I went on a journey and I... I went to meeting my dad, who was living in a tantric community in Thailand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I told you, my parents were like... This, I'm fascinated. Life. This is incredible. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and so I was introduced in this tantric community, and I started to do a lot of um, 
tantric practices and tantra it's so much more than sex so actually the healing journey at the beginning for me it was with yoga position with meditation with the breathwork techniques and diet you know some uh, following some how would you say yeah diet that would support my overall well-being and guess what i never got tonsillitis again and my cysts start to reduce so when i did um, the following like checkups the cysts were not um you know that big that needed surgery anymore they were not growing they actually reduced their um yeah their dimensions and and also alongside of all those practices i was seeing this like country goddess you know in this community they were like radiating and super passionate and alive and magnetic and i was like i love what you have you know and i was thinking i i have the best sex life I have a high sex drive, my orgasm every time I have sex. My sex life is perfect. And then those women kind of like helped me understand how it could, you know, allow my sexual energy and my pleasure to move through my body and use that to feel more sexy and magnetic or how to have all sorts of internal type of orgasms, such as squirting, or anal orgasms. And I thought that some women are born with, you know, capability to do it and some not. Mm -hmm. But they told me, no, that's not true. Everyone can. You have the anatomical parts. It's just about like learning the techniques and putting your time and energy in it. It's like, of course you can. It's like saying, you know, it's just like you have nerve endings there, unless you have a deformation in your body. Of course, some some people might, but uh, that's very rare. And so I yeah i started to do also these sexual trainings and i was so mind blown by it i always had a bit of a high sex drive and it was just if before i was exploring like imagine playing the piano mm. and i thought it was like a good piano player in my sex life but it was literally just playing with like 10 keys and then I discovered that I had a whole, you know, set of 88 keys to play with and I started to make like way better symphonies. And, <laughs> and I just like realized how much, you know, we were missing. And still back then, I was thinking I'm going to go back and work in sales because I like people, but I'm still going to use my engineering background. But then when I came back, um, all of my friends wanted to learn and I was like, oh, my God, you're radiating, you're shining. Like, what's the difference? And what did you learn? And so I started to do workshops and then the word started to spread. People were like, oh my God, this is amazing. They wanted to, to learn things. So I found myself like traveling to Rome and Milan and giving private sessions. And then six months later, I was like, I'm earning as much as an engineer. I'm loving my job. I'm changing my job. And when I did my trainings, I, you know, I went quite deep. So I did like teacher trainings as well in different modalities. And so I was, um, yeah, I could also teach and it was just, yeah. So that's how I became a holistic sex therapist. And so I'm using way more, you know, Eastern tradition about Tantra, Taoism and shamanism to support people. And it's a bit less, I would say maybe mainstream, but that's, mm. yeah, that's, that's my story. I mean, maybe it was a bit too long. I just find this fascinating 
probably not what you expected, but you've just clearly outlined that no matter what kind of upbringing you have or anyone has, they are going to rebel against their parents because you re- your form of rebelling was to actually conform with mainstream and go to university and get the engineering degree and everything else as well <laughs> yeah. when you have this very, what's the word I'm looking for? open upbringing surrounded by all these different belief systems and you did the polar opposite. But most people that are in a Western culture that would be familiar with this would have the regimented family that want them to grow up to be the engineer and they run off and join a tantric community. So like you did the reverse of that. That is really interesting. Yes, yes, I did. Absolutely reverse. But yes, everyone rebels, right? Yeah. Normal phase in life. <laughs> so obviously you've been around everywhere. You've been doing this a very long time. And I like the fact that, you know, you already considered yourself to have a healthy sex life and then you took it to a whole new level and turned it into a superpower, which eventually became your profession. Yes, that's exactly it. Good so, summary. Yeah. Well, what happens with the people that you work with? I did ask you before we went on air, Was it? Is it mostly women? Is it men as well? And I, mean, I think you do couples too. Yeah, so I work both with men, women, and couples. And did you ask me what are the main concerns? What did you ask? We'll get to that. As a, just clarifying for our listeners, because obviously I had a bit of a chat for you uh, with you before you came live. But you pretty much deal with everyone. So I'd love to get into them one at a time. What are the issues that women usually come to you with? What are the main things that pop up? So the main concerns that I'm hearing from my female clients are around they can't have an orgasm when moreover when they are with the partner so they might be able to do it on their own Hmm. but they struggle when they have penetrative sex or sex with a partner another common is low libido so feeling very disconnected from their sexuality moreover after having kids or in long-term relationships and other time they feel really in their head like they're worrying am i looking good am i taking too long to orgasm uh, what is my partner thinking are they having a good time so being their head worrying mm-hmm. and disconnected from their bodies from their pleasure from prioritizing their pleasure and sometimes some women feel like they have a good sex life so i have some clients that come with concern like the one i just uh, share with you yeah and sometimes they're simply loving their sex life, but thinking that maybe there is more. Mm. You know, they heard that they can learn how to squirt, or they can have a G-spot orgasm, or they can have uh, more pleasure, or become more confident and learning techniques in how to touch their partner. And so they want to upgrade their sexuality rather than like necessarily having a problem or concern they want to work with. Yeah. So that's all sometimes, yeah sometimes the case. I think it's great that you're highlighting that all of these things are learned skills. So yes, some people might have found them or stumbled across them very early on and other people might think, you know, that's just not for me. But as you said, anatomically, we're all designed very similar way. So they, with the capacity of learning and growth, they can learn to squirt. They can learn to some, I know some women don't enjoy penetration. They prefer clitoral stimulation. Like there's all these different elements of sexual well-being, and I'm sure it's the same for men, but they learn skills. And this is what you help people develop. Is that correct? Yes. Like good sex is a learnable skill. Yeah. Same as any skill. And I love that from so many people in that fixed mindset that, you know, they won't even entertain the theory that they can develop it as a skill. 
Yes, and a lot of people do not prioritize it yeah. because we have a belief that either come naturally to us or we shouldn't be working on it. Something must be wrong or you're doomed to have this mediocre sex life if, you know, something must be wrong with you or you're broken. Everyone else is having a great sex life. It's just you and you're doomed. There's nothing you can do. So I feel like a lot of people feel as well stuck. It's not yeah. just with a sex life, though. That mindset that you just described can be applied to absolutely anything. People to say, you know, I don't have the capacity to put on muscle or I'm just not good at uh, setting goals or whatever it may be. They've got this fixed set that they're not good at it now, but they could be. This is what I try and encourage people. They can develop those skills. They can learn and they can either do it themselves, which will take an extended period of time, or get assistance from someone like yourself who's spent many years exploring this thing and they sort of fast track it a bit. So I love this. It's, a, it's the same as anything that you can learn. Absolutely. And it's often faster than people think of. Like most of my clients, they come for anything between three months up to a year and then they get the results they want. Yeah. So it's not like 10 years. And there are some clients that have had experienced a bit more trauma or it was a bit tougher for them growing up and therefore it's a bit longer maybe their journey, but it's also possible for them. So for some clients, I work for a tiny bit longer, but 90% of my clients, as I said, a few months journey and they get what they want. Excellent. What about and men? What issues? Have, Sorry, you continue, Lisa. Yeah, and they might have worrying in their head about it yeah. for all their life. Yeah. And feeling inadequate for it, but couldn't say, you know, couldn't, couldn't own their struggle and take the courage to do something about it or didn't know that they could. Yeah. And often they, you know, sometimes when I have people in their 50s coming to see me after a few months when they, you know, learn the skills that they really wanted to and maybe for men, for instance, um, solve premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction issues, they feel like, how did I not did, did this earlier? Yeah. You know, how come? Like, this is amazing. And they feel way more confident and way more magnetic because as you were mentioning earlier, when this part of ourselves um, is, you know, really fulfilling and alive and we really experience a lot of pleasure, then it's almost like just another, it's almost like something clicks mm -hmm. and it ripples out in other areas of our life. So if someone struggled to feel confident, you know, when they were naked, like it just feels way different when they're walking down the street because now they're feeling like, oh my God, you know, I know how to pleasure my woman. Yeah. I know how to have all this type of orgasms. And there is like a magnetism that I have and a confidence. Sometimes they find it hard to speak up. And when they learn to speak up in the bedroom, then they also do it in at work and they might ask for a pay raise or they might close a deal that before they couldn't. So it's amazing if you like check my website and see the testimonial. It's amazing how it ripples out in so many other areas. I'm like so happy. I find yeah. this amazing. I'm not surprised. Like I am initially, but when I really think about it, it is of no surprise. But all the benefits that you're boasting and the system that you're putting in place and the how it ripples out into the other areas of their life, 
I facilitate that in other ways. We might be looking at, you know, improving quality of well-being or looking at life coaching or fitness or whatever it may be. And it does have that ripple effect and they do walk different and they have that different vibe and that frequency and they can ask for the promotion and they can speak up and express their needs and they have that confidence that everyone can just feel. It's the same yeah. concept, but just exploring sexual well-being and exploration. It's, it's amazing. So you're, you're leading to the same outcome. This is very, uh, very interesting for me. I'm very, very much enjoying this conversation, Lisa. So thank you for the light bulb moments. So you mentioned a couple of the pain points that men face. Can you just go over them again? Yes. The main concerns that men would come to see me with is ejaculating before they want to, which is also called sometimes premature ejaculation. And that could vary, you know, between before penetration, if they uh, are attracted to, um, if they like to have intercourse to a few minutes after penetration and erectile dysfunction. So having trouble having an erection or keeping an erection and sometimes feeling addicted to pornography and noticing that it is having negative impact in their sexual life, but not being able to stop and um, other times, so these are the main concerns the men would come to see me with. And then other times, as I said, for women, there are another tier of another like section of clients which feel quite happy with their sexuality. But you know, they might be entrepreneur or um, high achievers, and they're like, "All right, I got you know my uh, fitness under control, my business is thriving. Like, what else? Yeah, you know, sexuality. I didn't work on this. Yeah. All right, teach me how to be a sex god." And so, I can think of so many people that would love to explore this. Yeah, but it's just it's just amazing. Yeah, so that is also that that part of clients. I feel like sometimes they come with concern and sometimes just to upgrade their life. Yeah, awesome. So, what about couples? Do they come? Are they the same issues? Is it usually an issue or a concern that a woman has, or an issue or concern that a man has, or maybe they have a goal of just heightening their sex drive? Is it the same sort of problems when it's a couple, or is it different? Yeah, so sometimes there would be one of the two that has um, concerns, like premature ejaculation, and then they feel like they can't satisfy their partner. And in a heterosexual couple, maybe, you know, the woman doesn't feel that satisfied or um, she starts to lose interest. And so they're coming as a couple, but there is one person that has mainly some uh, sexual concern. Mm. And sometimes neither of them had necessarily a problem per se in their sexuality, but they might be experiencing a loss of spark. Yeah. Which is so common and considered normal. And it's not like, I guess it's normal, but it doesn't need to be natural. You know, it's normal in our society, but we can keep our spark alive in long-term relationships. And this is probably the main, yeah, problem the couples come with or with different libidos. So someone wants a lot of sex, the other person doesn't, and they're finding it hard to navigate that, you know, difference of sex, interest in sexuality. And then, as I said, same for couples, sometimes they feel like they have a great sex life and they heard that they can do this and have a full body orgasm and deeper their intimacy. And then they want to learn how to do that. Yeah. Fascinating. So talking about sex, I think it'd be silly not to discuss connection and how that is involved because some people have extreme sexual cap uh, 
connection or capacity to work together, but maybe the relationship might not be the best in terms of other things. And then other people are a bit like roommates. They, you know, they love each other to an extent, but there is no spark anymore. And you're mentioning that it is normal. I don't think it is normal. I think it's very common, but it shouldn't be normal. And discussing this with you is sort of highlighting that. How do you deal with something like that? Because it is a common issue. I know so many men in particular, and I have heard it from women, where one has a completely different sex drive and they just don't have that connection for whatever reason. Maybe they're tired from work and they're coming home and they're not making it a priority like you mentioned at the start. How do you navigate around that? Yeah, can I um, ask a clarification? So do you want to hear how to navigate the loss of spark? Yeah, let's do the loss of spark. Sorry, I did a little bit of a a little bit of a rant okay. there. <laughs> yeah, loss of spark. How would you navigate around that if you had a couple that was coming in and yeah, they just they're going through the motions. They were just in existence in their relationship. Maybe they've got kids, maybe they've got, you know, whatever. They're um, busy with work, but that the spark is gone. So if the spark is gone, there are practices that could be done to bring more passion. And there are some like habits that they're having in their day to day life that would, you know, require some changing. So I can name something. And this is going on the category of like adding, you know, some spark. But then, and I'm going to give you an example. But then we also need to make sure that the sex they're having is satisfying. So we need to solve any concern, any lack of, you know, orgasm or any problem that they might be experiencing. So also doing some sexual healing. Um, and I also work always on communication and emotional connection. Yeah. And that's it. So the main thing would be like supporting, you know, bringing spark and excitement of solving any issue they might be having either like separately or together. And and then as well supporting them in the emotional connection and communication. So about the, the spark and adventures, so there are a few important things to do. So people need to cultivate their own uniqueness within as well the relationship. So they need to cultivate themselves, uh, some hobbies, and these will help in the attraction because if people spend all the time together uh, and don't have like hobbies or things that spark them alive that makes them feel like alive that passion that passion like a spark of passion yeah you know in also out you know outside of the relationship then they're kind of like merging together a little bit too much yeah and it's important so that someone cultivate their own aliveness enthusiasm for Mm. life and separate as well from the relationship and that they cultivate as well some space so that this is like the concept of polarity so help you understand imagine a magnet they're really attracting towards one another but if you leave them together for too long then they lose that polarity they lose that attraction Mm. so at the same time they also need to spend some time separate so, for instance, in my relationship, we have separate bedrooms Yeah. to not always like take it for granted to sleep in the same room. And we will go on holidays together. We will have hobbies that are separate and keep us alive and enthusiastic about life. Mm-hmm. And then we will cultivate things that we do as a relationship that still bring that variety. So we will go and, you know, we're now organizing a trip 
in Nepal um, hiking. But that could be as simple as organize fun and playful different date nights. So it could be that one time we're cooking a new recipe together. Another time we do, we learn a new skill together. So we might, um, you know, go on a tennis class or, and it doesn't really matter what you're doing, but it's something that makes you alive. <laughs> then, you know, we find out there was a break room in Melbourne. So we went to the break room and just like throw things. It's just to do something different, learning skills together. Keep me also engaged in the relationship so that you keep that like, like spark and aliveness outside of the bedroom as well. Yeah, that is solid and advice. Uh, so many people that you speak to, they just don't feel excited about life. They're just going through the motions on the hamster wheel and there is no passion. So it doesn't, it makes sense that they wouldn't be able to find that passion in the bedroom with their partner if they're not feeling it in other areas of their life, if they're feeling unfulfilled in general, working a job they don't like, just running through the motions. That's a very interesting point. Very interesting point. I'm sure a lot of people get a lot of value out of that. In terms of communication, how do people do that? Because it is very much a taboo subject, particularly if people have got anxieties or stress around sex. Uh, if men, for example, are feeling that they can't satisfy their partner or that their partner's lost interest in them, then they're, a woman, for example, might be feeling another thing. Maybe they're feeling like they have to put on a performance because they just don't have that, that sexual communication. How does someone cultivate that? Well, I guess just people need to find that courage to, you know, bring it up. Yeah. Ideally, when they're not emotionally charged, so that they don't charge it with a lot of emotion and that can create reactivity within the relationship. And so it would be something along the line of, you know, I really love you and I'm curious about what, how can we explore our sexuality to bring more, even more pleasure and more spark so that we can cultivate also that part of our relating because sharing my life with you is so important to me and I want to uh, support us thriving hmm. as a couple. That is a great so way to bring up the topic. Little, yeah, so would you be open to have, you know, a little sexy dates and just chat about what you love about our sexuality, what you would, would like more of, and knowing that I want you to be honest and I can take it. I'm not going to take it personally. I I am understanding that, you know, it can be a bit humbling to mm. speak up, but I think that's the starting point for growth. And I am ready to do that with you because I love you so much and I want to put myself out and yeah, something like that. Can you see how that's a bit less triggering rather than, you never want to make love. Yeah. You know, we need to fucking talk about this. This is not really working. <laughs> Can you see like the difference between the two approaches? Yeah, that's a very good way to bring it up. And it's not very confronting to bring it up in that sense. It is an open dialogue. I think a lot of people struggle to have that conversation. I've been pretty lucky that most of my relationships over the years, we have had that open discussion and exploration has always been encouraged. But what about people out there that are feeling shame around kinks and things like that? Maybe they've been in a long relationship and they've had secret desires, both a man or a woman, and they just don't want to share that. How do they get over that? 
How, just to clarify the question. Shame associated with sexual desires. I imagine it to be a, a popular topic. Yes. Well, it's very common. Moreover, with the, um, moreover with the porn being used more and more, because pornography, what it does is kind of like hook into a little fantasy that might be important 10% for someone. And then because they keep masturbating with that fantasy, it really does like neuroplasticity in the brain yeah. and change the way the person get aroused. And so make that fantasy needed. Mm. Yeah. Uh, instead of being like not very important because they're reinforcing that over and over again. And because pornography is not reality, it needs to spice it up. It needs to be more intense. And so it's kind of like modifying even the fantasy that if left on their own device, they would never get to that um, intensity of that fantasy or it, would be, uh, it wouldn't be that important. So first is understanding, is that really something important for you? Hmm. And it might be that, you know, for that person, uh, it might be that uh, the person might have been reinforcing that desire, but it's not, but it's created by the high use of pornography. Hmm. And if it is an important fantasy, which absolutely you know, can be the, uh, the case, like my partner really liked dominant submission play, and it's important for him, you know, um, and it's just just something um, that is really, yeah, that he really likes and he wants to explore. And so in that case, it would be amazing to bring it up as well to, to the partner and asking them if they would be open to support that exploration and finding what the partner feel comfortable and safe to do. Yeah. So for instance, it could be, you know, in the dominant submission, oh, I'm, I'm realizing, you know, how important these, uh, how I'm finding myself fantasizing about scene of us making love, playing out dominant submission um, archetypes and roles. Archetypes is a bit of, I use the word, right? Mm. Roles. And I'm wondering if you would be open to talk about it and see if there is anything that you could feel comfortable doing it. And of course, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. You know, I don't, I don't want to do anything that you don't want to do, but I'm curious if there is something that we can play out that might support me leaving this because I don't want to, you know, just bury it in my fantasies or feeling ashamed about it. You are such an important part of my life and the only person which, you know, who I make love with. And so I want to bring it to you so that we can explore how we can bring it in our relationship if there is any space for it. So of course, I'm not going to force you doing anything. And then like having a conversation, how it's going to look like for me or some example of how that could look like. So really bringing it up in a non non-pressuring way mm. and exploring what the other person is just a little doggy here so <laughs> to, see, to see oh my gosh um and, and 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 check what the other person is open to do and i work with a lot of couples and sexual fantasy is usually part of my work with them so i will um, have a whole session about most common sexual fantasy we all have them and understanding how they can include that in their sexuality and what feels okay for both of them to try, knowing that the other person needs to feel safe 
and there are certain things that I can do to support the other person feeling safe. Mm -hmm. And so most yeah, couples that come to see me, they are really open to try. And I think sexual fantasy are so natural, yeah. you know, so really natural, normals. And um, most of the time when brought up with that openness and not that attachment or pressure is welcomed by the partner. Yeah. That's a fantastic response. So in terms of sexual fantasies, the reason I want to discuss this is even when we look at things like mental health, there is so much stigma and a lot of it comes from the actual individual feeling the mental health issue. They feel that they're the only person that feels that way. So I think you talking about things, that, highlighting that they are common and they are perfectly normal might encourage people to open up the conversation with their partners or whoever they're engaged with. So what are the most common sexual fantasies that come up between couples in your work? Yeah, so it could be... you got to show us the dog picker. <laughs> come, come here, Ginger. No, Heidi. I can see the top of the head. What kind of dog is it? Ah, oh, very cute. Wants to be a part of it. Welcome. What's his name? Ginger, it's her name, is a lady. So <laughs> Very cute. So going back to our question, so some common common fantasies are the dominant submission. So that's pretty, pretty common. Sometimes to the point of like wanting to give or receive pain. <laughs> then is group sex. So it could be like a threesome. So inviting other, other person in the... Um, in, in their sexuality, then is something like that has to do with prohibition. So no. they shouldn't do it in that location. Ah, that exhibitionism. Time. Yeah, or even something like that they shouldn't do. Let's imagine they might want to play out, you know, um, different roles where it would not be appropriate to do it, like someone is a teacher, the other one is a student yeah. or something like that, you know, where it's not appropriate. So sex is being um, done in a no appropriate. Yeah. Doctors, that's nurses, like, all those things. Yeah. That's yeah. like prohibition is quite, is quite common. So these are some quite common sexual fantasies, but of course, like, yeah, people have, you know, different ones and it's very normal to have them. And so it's very good to check in what, sexual fantasies to turn us on and explore that, explore that and bring it in the relationship. I, you know, in my partnership, we do role play and we, yeah, we welcome um, our sexual fantasies and we try to support our, um, you know, each other in exploring that and not feel ashamed around it. Even like, you know, to the extreme of rape, that's mm -hmm. another common sexual fantasy. And it's, you know, there is so much shame around it. But if you don't really do it, enact it, like it's not creating harm to anyone. And if we own that kind of like taker or the desire of being taken so extremely, we can play that out with my partner yeah. or with your, with, you know, with, with the partner. And for instance, I'm popping up the dog. So you know, even in my relationship, there is actually a desire for my partner to has like to some extent that fantasy of the rape, and I have the fantasy of being raped. 
So we enact that, not like to the extreme, but yeah. kind of like the point of, yeah, he was, I was like, I think a sexist life. I think that we did something like that. So but not just like clarifying, safety is of the utmost importance and consent. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, for instance, to enact anything about, like, for me being a sexist life, I think we did that. We didn't do actually the rape. It would be, you know, it was to do a lot of connection before the role play. Yeah. Then used to uh, it was to have a safe word. So in case I would feel um, unsafe or something was off, I could have called out that word and we would have kind of like paused whatever we were doing. And to have a, um, a longer aftercare, so a connection afterwards. So that even we played out that I was, you know, a sexy slave and I was his possession. Um, I felt that hard connection strongly beforehand and afterwards. And that held me feeling safe. And I love that role and I enjoy that so much. And um, I could not have done it without you know, this extra care and everyone will have different type of care that they need. And yes, safety is essential. Safety and acceptance, yeah. you know, they're essential to explore, to explore that. Well, not just in terms of sexual exploration, but in all areas of life, safety is such an important aspect and so is acceptance. Uh, I'm amazed at how you can take things that would be considered when you look at them to be completely opposite, but they have such an an overlap of similarities like connection, safety, acceptance, all these things, uh, and the benefits that they have in our life. So I wanted to ask about porn because it has been a hot topic lately where particularly young men are struggling with porn addiction and it is having an impact on their, what's the term I'm looking for, what they expect from a sexual relationship. And it is causing that disconnection between them and women. I'm sure the same thing happens for some women as well. But what could it sort of uh, impact is porn having on people in terms of their dopamine receptors and how they view sex? Yeah, it's a bit of a controversial topic, isn't it? Yeah. I've been, um, I haven't been going that public talking about my opinion about it. You can keep it to yourself if you want. I should have hit you up before I asked you. I just thought of it. Uh, it's been coming up on topic. But no, that's okay. I'm, I'm happy to share my my opinion share as little or as much as you wish it's entirely up to you i don't want to make you uncomfortable i have been not sharing because i feel a bit charged around it and i was like i should you know it's just i've been feeling so sad about the amount of people that have come with me uh having concerns and problems derivating from their consumption of pornography Hmm. and so despite you know it's considered to be oh it's you know there is so much porn as like sexuality is becoming more and more liberating i feel that the the image that mainstream pornography gives to people is of a sexuality that is disconnected that is you know driven by performance and very far from reality those are movies yeah. <laughs> you know they're being filmed they have been staged uh even though they wanted to make them real they're fantasies and they need to make it more and more intense because there is not a real person there so you people cannot feel the smell they cannot feel you know the touch with the with the person so to 
to get people turned on, they need to become more and more extreme. And so what happened is that people, you know, watch a video and then that video is not interesting anymore and they need a different one. And then sometime they will go from one video to the other and they will skip, you know, scenes. They just want to go to the most excited parts. And so it's so far from what actually happens. So mm. pornography can, could and can be used in very good ways by supporting people understanding how sex look like, by giving them ideas, by help them exploring their sexual fantasy and understand more about themselves. So they could be used in a very healthy way and help people's sexuality. But how they are mainly used from people is just not supportive. Mm. How the mainstream um, is using that is not supportive. And it created a disconnect between the body and the mind. As I said, it, it creates like the person needs more and more intense in, intense intensive mental stimulation yeah aroused and they're not as aroused by the pace of things and how things are moving uh in reality they you know some men they think that that what women want is what they see in pornography but that really doesn't work for women like that's a stage and as I said, mainstream pornography, as I said, there are some porn that are actually very well done um, and have very, you know, great ethics and are supportive of people's sexuality. But how the mainstream are used, I'm really um, not supportive of that because I'm seeing the impact that it's having. And so people, uh, some men have erectile dysfunction because they cannot keep their arousal up unless they are... Um, they have a very strong mental stimulation and reality is not enough mm. how it plays out and you know I've worked with so many so many men in their early 20s having erectile dysfunction coming from the um, amount of porn that they were consuming and because it gives like a dopamine hit and is how hold on my lights have turned off Sorry about that. That's never happened before. And how... Um, lost a ton of bit of flow. So we were saying how a lot of, you know, young men would watch a lot of pornography and then they find it hard to keep erections. Yeah. And it would, because of the dopamine hits they will have through porn and because often is a, is a way of self-soothing. So when they feel stressed, they watch porn, they release... Uh, and they, you know, relax and go to sleep. So they have an ingrained pattern and habits in doing it. So it takes a while to support them, find other ways that they can self-soothe and then slowly reconnect to their sexuality in a way that is more present and connected with their bodies and with reality. And, you know, as I said, nothing, most of my clients within a few months, they will get the results they want. So it's not something that's like takes years and years. But... It is faster in, for instance, older men that they didn't have porn when they were very young. So it's, it is very imprinting, moreover, when... Um, in a developing people, brain. Yeah, in a developing brain when they start when they're really, really young. But it, as I said, a few months up to a year, usually they're able to overcome that concern. Yeah, I think the whole concept of just screen time and that digital experience, even looking at social media, is having such an impact on dopamine receptors. Throwing porn into the mix where you just got that visual extremity straight away, 
A lot of people are struggling. Uh, you mentioned before about women being in their head, and I think a lot of women can relate to that. And I think it sort of works with anything where people can't connect with their body, even people in the fitness industry or that mind-muscle connection and that awareness of that introspection. I wanted to talk about what Tantra is exactly because I wasn't aware that it was involving things like breath work, meditation, pretty much mindfulness, but with a sexual element. Can you expand on what Tantra is? Yeah, so Tantra is a way of living. So it's way beyond the sexuality field, as mentioned earlier, is a path for awakening. (laughs) So it includes spirituality connection with the body um, it has like yoga poses meditation practices breath work so it's way beyond sexuality mm. but in its core it accepts all life and all expression of life and so it accepts as well sexuality and because it consider all of existence as sacred so it's a very ancient tradition that it might not resonate for everyone. But, you know, when you ask me what Tantra is, I feel like I need to give a full answer. Yeah. If you ask me what Tantra can support modern people in their sexuality would be different the answer, but at well, least I feel like to give justice to that. From what you're telling me, it sounds like Buddhism or mindfulness, but with sex. Like, you know, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's yeah. It. Interesting. I've never considered it like that. Clearly, I was not educated enough on the topic of Tantra. So what sort of benefits can exploring Tantra bring to people's lives? Because obviously, you've talked about just how you enter a room and how you carry yourself and just that heightened state and well-being and overall quality of life. Is that something that people could expect from exploring Tantric practices? Yes, because as I said, they're so well-rounded. So they will go from meditation practices to you know, um, supporting your body, your overall well-being to meditation, to breath technique, to sexual techniques. Yeah. <laughs> so it's quite well-rounded and include as well spiritual practices to uh, practices to, to help people connect with their consciousness. And if someone wants to experience tantric sex, they don't necessarily need to do you know, all of those things. As I said, tantra is a, is a way of living, is a philosophy, but it also has some sexual techniques. And a lot of people are interested mainly in those ones, which is totally fine. And they can also just explore that. And despite uh, tantra has a spiritual component too, is not essential for, let's say, experiencing a full body orgasm or to be really present. So. Uh, people that don't have, that don't resonate with that part, they can just like, yeah, do not, you know, go in that in that direction, but explore all the rest of Tantra. So it's not absolutely needed. So how does spirituality interact with sex? Because I think spirituality is often an an underappreciated aspect when it comes to well-being and it's something that I've been looking at more as a missing piece of the puzzle not necessarily religion but spirituality and the benefits that come with it so how does sex and spirituality relate well the main thing would be why they should be separate (laughs) (laughs) well played yeah okay no interesting I'll, I'll have to give that some thought 
it's in in tantra every experience is seen as a teacher yeah and sexuality is part of our human experience and therefore it's utilize and harness to support people connecting to their body heart and spirit creating alter state of consciousness that can help them connecting with spirit or their soul however you want to call it so there are techniques to move energy and also through the arousal state to create alter um state of consciousness that are a bit different from the ordinary you know like dreaming yeah like super relaxed mental state, like super aroused mental state, also like just emotionally aroused, you know, it is a tiny bit different how we're feeling. Mm. And that can support deeply a meditation practice. So it's seen as a very strong energy that if channeled and harnessed in a certain way, can support us connecting with our heart and spirit. And so when people make love and move sexual energy through their body, connect to their heart, and go in this altered state of consciousness, almost in which, you know, time disappears. It's not like, have you ever been so into the sexual experience that it was feeling almost like a dream, like everything else just yeah. disappeared and you're just in there. And if instead of having, so Tantra is big about not having explosive orgasms, which is ejaculation or clitoral orgasm, but having implosive orgasm in which the energy is circulated back within the body and move that pleasure and that energy into, you know, our higher energy center. And after doing that, that supports create this alter state of consciousness and then sitting in meditation or doing spiritual practices. And it's less, the mind is less distracted, it's more present and it's easier to access that level of consciousness. And so, for instance, I do meditation retreat with my partner to support me. I'm doing non-dual practices to support me connecting beyond my ego. And we have, you know, a sexual practice in our in our day. It's mm. included in. <laughs> so we have, you know, we follow the teaching of our, uh, yeah, of our spiritual teacher. We sit, we meditate, and we also have a moment to you know say mantras and then we have a moment to make love with that intention and then we sit in meditation afterwards so it doesn't need to be separated but because it it was separated by different uh, religion mm. and it was considered as a scene which wasn't before because if you go to you know shamanism or pagan how do you say it? Pagan. paganism yeah paganism pagan. yeah like they're not separated. If you go to tantric temples, you know, it's like they have scenes of people making love. Hmm. So it's like going in a church and every statue of people making love, like that's considered sacred. So it's it's a total shift of paradigm that if we would have brought up with that in our life, it would be normal for us. Yeah. But because we have been brought up with a different mindset, then we perceive sexuality as really separate from our spirit and our spiritual practice and but it doesn't need to be that way so for me for instance it's not it's it's part of it and if people do have a strong spiritual practice and that come to me as a client 
and they're feeling a desire to stop separating their sexuality from their spiritual practices, I do help them with that. Mm. And if people don't feel any, you know, any call to a spiritual practice, I don't like force that on people. Yeah, of course. I just support them overcoming their concerns and it's not necessarily for a man to let go of premature ejaculation that don't need to, you know, include um, a soulful way of making love. It's not necessarily at all. There are other techniques that, that can be taught. The more I look into spirituality, I think everyone that I've ever come into counter with that actually has some sort of spiritual element into their life, they feel amazing. Like it has that layer that a lot of other people are missing. You mentioned how with sexuality, obviously people aren't exploring it. It's funny because none of us would be here if it wasn't for sex, but we don't talk about it. It's just pushed away. And as you said, throughout history on the temples and all these other places, it's been celebrated for such an extended period of time. And all of a sudden now it's just bad and we can't discuss it. My next question, I am conscious of the time and we are definitely going to have to have you back. To, uh, there's plenty more to talk about, but how does sex change throughout life? So if you're talking about people late teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, all the way up into their 60s, is there, a, is there differences throughout sexual requirements and exploration? Obviously, performance would change. So how does sex change throughout a lifetime? Well, with time, we become more aware, more self-aware. And so often the sex that people have later in life is better than the sex that people have when they are teenagers, Mm. because even if they have a higher desire for sex, they have less awareness on their body, less depth that they can bring into the sexual experience. And as we mature as being, we can bring more of us in the sexual experience. And so it can add the layers of depth. So for instance, um, I feel a deeper level of acceptance towards myself, or towards my partner, a more, you know, a higher connection to my body, a higher connection to my heart and love that I had when I when I was a teenager. And I feel this is keep growing. So my experience of sex, and I see it a lot as well in clients, it might be counterintuitive, because we have higher, often higher desire for sex when we are younger, but we have less awareness. And so the our sexual experience might be more fiery but might have less texture or less depth however you know some people are super self-aware um and you know already having like that depth a bit younger in life but a tendency that i've noticed is that so often people that have better sex a little bit when they're a little bit older that I have more awareness and more maturity and more experience understanding what they like what they don't like what works for them what doesn't work for them sexually so they have more understanding about themselves and how to give pleasure to someone else and so they're better lover as well for others because you know sometimes it's try and error you try this and then this and then this and you grow right yeah I bet you are a better lover than you were when you were you know, 18. Yeah. Well, as I say, it is experimenting, isn't it? You're exploring and you're learning about yourself and the opposite sex or whoever you choose to have sex with. And you just, you learn and you develop it, as you mentioned at the start, like a skill. It's something that you can learn over time and it grows and changes and that's okay. 
And then when we later in life, it can happen that people stop prioritizing it. 100%. So it, it could happen that even people around the 40 or 50, they stop having um, sex because they stop prioritizing it. Moreover, after you know some time having kids or because their passion fade in their relationship. And so it could happen. But if people keep prioritizing, keep learning, I feel like sex keep getting better. Mm. And and I see that as well as I said with my clients. And you know, when we reach like 60, 70, 80, our sex drive can keep decrease. But if someone has a passion for sexuality, you know, one of my Tantra mentor, she is, you know, 80 and she's still having sex and she's still teaching. And so I feel like wow. it, yeah, like well, whatever, 77 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know? that's amazing. So it doesn't, it doesn't need to fade away. And it makes me sad that our, you know, in our society, sometimes we think that, you know, someone over whatever, like 60, oh, they shouldn't make love or it's a bit rare or, yeah. but they can. Yeah, absolutely. And moreover, there's another thing with Tantra, for instance, for men, sometimes experience some, they find it hard to keep their erections a bit later in life, but there are like tantric techniques to strengthen that. And so that's also, I, I haven't heard of any Tantra teacher needing a Viagra, you know? So yeah. it's really, unless there are medical conditions, that's something different, you know, taking some medication or something, but otherwise there are sexual techniques to keep that longevity in the erection as well. Yeah, well, I think that's an issue that a lot of men don't discuss, but it has come up a few times. I was at a men's retreat not long ago, and it did come up a little bit where people, they do have these concerns, and then it leads to them not being intimate with their partners. And then eventually that leads to a relationship breaking down because they don't have that connection, that sense of intimacy. One either looks for it in another relationship or something like that. So, yeah, I think for everyone out there that's not prioritising sex, and you're in a relationship, I seriously think that you need to be looking at this area of life. Eliza, we have pretty much run out of time. How can people find you? People that want to reach out to you, that want to explore Tantra, that want to address any concerns that they have in their own sexual relationships or experiences, or they're really smashing it already and they want to take it to the next level and be turned into a superpower. How do they find you? So they can find me on social media, Instagram or YouTube. My name is Elisa Caro, so E-L-I-S-A-C-A-R-O. And if they have trouble remembering that, if they just write Melbourne Tantra, which might be easier, they're going to find my website pretty up on the search bar. So that's as well a way of doing it if they can't find me. And I have a lot of videos on YouTube. And even if it's not like top of priority, I would suggest if you're listening to this to have a look at my YouTube channel because there are so many videos like find the internal pleasure spot in, you know, female bodies or understand how to keep passion alive in long-term relationship or how to have more intense orgasms. So there are so many videos and I feel like it's really good education that someone is just a great starting point. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, Lisa, I thoroughly enjoyed the chat. We're definitely going to have to have you back because I'm probably going to get a few more listeners to give us more questions to explore and discuss. Such an important aspect. I will just connect. 
Thank you, Eliza. Hi, my name's Paul Kennedy, and I'm a sport reporter for the ABC, and when I'm not listening to the ABC, I listen to Radio Karam. Tune in and enjoy. Don't worry about a thing, because Atticus Health will make you feel all right. Don't worry. About a thing Cause Atticus Health Will make you feel alright If you got a tummy ache Or you don't feel right Or if you have a nasty rash Keeping you up at night Don't worry About a thing Don't worry Cause Atticus Health will make you feel alright! <laughs>